and we're back. Never went anywhere. Never did anything else. No time has passed. This is none whatsoever. Straight into it. Straight into it. And somehow within the no time passing, I have added two flicks to my list. Mm-hmm. It's just because you remembered them. That's all. They were so bad. I forgot about them. <laughs> Actually, they were both pretty good. Oh, yeah, okay. uh, I was so stunned by them that I forgot they existed. But yeah, it, it proved quite lengthy on us. We, we didn't plan to not be able to succeed in finishing this topic. But hey, I, I think are. it's so so <laughs> nice. We're, we're doing it twice. The couscous. The food's so nice, they named it twice. Yeah, so we ended up with our first two-parter here yeah. coming back. And we're already second week into 2024. Uh-huh. That doesn't feel good. Time is whipping past. <laughs> yeah. Yes, it is. God bless. So we left about. We were just coming up. Citing my list here on. We were we were getting ready to discuss the haunting in Venice. Yes. A haunting. Or a haunting in Venice. Venice. Forgive me. The continuation of the Kenneth Branagh Her- Poirot, Poirot adaptations. The Agatha Christie series. Yeah. Super super good stuff. I really like Kenneth Branagh and pretty much everything that he does. He. Did you happen to see a while back? He did that movie Belfast. No, I did not see it. No. Which was it was kind of a biography. It was very interesting, but he had a lot of little clever nods to things in his career. It it covers uh, a family in Ireland, and it's dealing a lot with his childhood, but he has nods to things that he does later in life that he's achieved success with. And there's one scene where his his character is sitting there reading a Thor comic, and I thought that that was really clever. (laughs) Just little little touches. You know, I'll be honest. I liked Kenneth Branagh's take on Thor. I know everyone prefers the Taika Waititi. I think they're different shades. There's a lot of interesting things in both of them. And I'm not saying adding some I just more like, humor I just to like Ken Branagh. Didn't help, but I prefer him as a more, uh, that more Shakespearean style, but I guess that just makes yes. me a loser, so. <laughs> or, or wrong, whatever. There's no such thing as wrong. There's opinions. Yeah, but some opinions can be wrong. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, so. You could like blood sausage. Yeah. <laughs> What's it? Uh, Groundhog Day. I have some in the glove compartment. Would you like some? <laughs> yeah. Haunting in Venice. Yeah. The Haunting in Perot, Venice. Which, it, I gotta say, I thoroughly enjoy that that whole series. So do I. I liked Orient Express. I liked Death, Death on, on the Nile. Nile was a nice, was beautifully shot yeah. amongst many, and many, both of those first two had many great qualities. The tonal shift of Haunting in Venice took me a little by surprise. I really enjoyed that ride of all the different shades that came to play in that one. Tina Fey's character brought a lot of levity mm-hmm. and then they plunged you into the darkness of <laughs> the most evil horror style murder mystery. Yeah. I, I really enjoyed it. I, I do. Like Kenneth Branagh's performance as him. I mean, he he makes the role for me. I think he's a perfect yeah. fit. And it came for, for me. My horror season starts at the end of August yes. pretty much when I start really getting into it. So this came right at the perfect time for me to really start getting in that mode. <laughs> well, I liked it too, how they how they set it up with that classic is there really a haunting? Is there not? Not to, Yeah. Don't want to go. Yeah, I was playing with the elements of belief mm-hmm. in the supernatural yeah. and Poirot is the very fact-based reality detective yeah, and played by. Yeah, I, I like his sort you know, of character journey in this one. Um, yes. That he's pretty much essentially kind of given up on essentially and lost his his sense of faith, not just in religion, but just, just in humanity and altogether after two world yeah. wars. He's kind of seen it all at this yeah. point. I think this takes place after World War II, doesn't it? That's I can't remember now, but I know, I, I know at know. least, I know at least that he's, he's, he's kind of become a cynic and said what humanity's had its, what good can I do being this detective yeah. and helping people? So I thought that was an interesting place to start him 
him off. Yeah, and again, we don't want to spoil too much, so I don't want to dive too much yeah. into it. But it was very good. I thought it yeah, was a, would, a great continuation of that I would series. Recommend it, especially the more of those like the they do, two. the more I'm on board. Oh yeah, absolutely for sure. They they know what they're doing with those for sure. That brings us up to the creator. That was a very interesting one for me this year in a lot of different ways. This like Dead Reckoning tackled the very difficult subject of AI in a year where it was very much a hot button item outside of narrative discussions. It was a tough year with the SAG strike we discussed in the first part of this in regards to Dead Reckoning and how with especially and especially in regards to both the writers and actors strikes it was a very hot button and still is under discussion a very hot button item as people have been losing their jobs to automation in many mm -hmm. forms. Those two particular fields are butting heads directly with it still. So that one was interesting because it tackled that subject directly in what a future could look like sharing a space with a war on AI in its fullest form. And it had a very different take. I don't want to, again, I don't want to dive into this one and spoil it for anybody who might be interested, but I would recommend this one. In, in terms of technique, it kind of had a very interesting focus on camera. So yeah, I gotta, okay. And let me, as a blanket statement, we, w especially with the last episode too, we won't be really going heavy, spoiler heavy with anything. <laughs> they used a Sony-based camera system that I know a lot of independents use, the Sony F series, which is a DSLR-style camera. Now, obviously, they have the budget of a full studio backing them, and they were able to fully support this with other elements added on to that camera body, yeah. but they shot on a camera system that I know full well a lot of independent filmmakers use, and they really made it visually compete with everything shooting on the big boy camera bodies, <clears throat> which was kind of a shockwave for people like, oh, this camera that I can totally afford at four grand. Totally afford? big the big studios are now taking recognition of and being like, oh, we can totally play in this arena as well. Uh, I don't know if I like that. I don't want them playing in another arena. <laughs> <laughs> they got their own arena. No, but it, as far as I look at it, when a big studio production makes, completes, and puts out a film on the same camera I'm capable of grabbing and picking up, it's very inspiring from a way of, oh, it is it is purely how you use it. It is not <laughs> the, the veil between it's what makes a good not the, it's not the size. visual package. <laughs> it's not the size. It's how you use it. <laughs> and that is a, it's a good point. It's a very good point. That was an interesting one. Uh, Gareth Edwards has, has been around for a bit now. He's definitely made a name for himself. His his dabblings with Godzilla and Star Wars, his independent that he did monsters is very interesting. Very much. He, he's an old school visual effects guy who decided he wanted to jump into the arena and direct at one point. And he pulled his resources from that world and proved he can compete on a number of levels. He did most of the visual effects for his independent by That's himself. That's sort of the dirty trick too, or dirty secret, or one of the dirty secrets of the entertainment industry. I've always said this, you can't stumble into a starting quarterback role on an NFL football team, but no, exactly. you can stumble into a director's seat or of some sort or, or, or yeah, something I think, like I that. think when you bring something to that table that is unique, especially from another field where you can really articulate yourself, it differentiates yeah. you. So I think that he he very much brings that to the table. He knows what, what's going to make a good and unique story, but then he also brings all of that experience to the table and he brings something that's very difficult to bridge for a lot of directors and makes it very expedient and simple. So it's an interesting thing to watch. That 
that takes us, though, in, in completion of that, that takes us to one I've been very interested to talk about, especially with you, the second double feature event of the year that was much lesser known than Barbenheimer, yeah. but I found interesting all this, and that is the combination of Saw 10 and Paw Patrol, otherwise known as Saw Patrol. <laughs> interesting. You talk, you're really going on opposite ends of the spectrum. Yeah, for everybody who thought Barbie and Oppenheimer were tonally opposite, buckle up, because this was a much more interesting combination. The Saw series was an interesting roller coaster. It has jumped to a lot of different ends of where it can possibly go. Yeah. This was kind of a leap back from where it has been going. It's been kind of leaning out of dealing with John Kramer, but I think that that's left a lot of people with waning interest who were originally fans, so there's this kind of backward swing of the pendulum now to try and bring it back to being his story, so. And I think that they've made enemies of a lot of fans who liked where it was going. I don't know if they know what they're doing at this point, but they're trying different things, and it's interesting to watch. I didn't dislike Saw 10. I know a lot of people did. Definitely had some cheeky, I'll call them post-credit fan moments. Yeah, okay. Without without spoiling what they were, but definitely stick around for after the credits on that one. Where they may be taking it next, it could be interesting. As always, it's a great morality play of playing with intentions and consequences of all that fun. So. And then there's always that great theory that it's John Kramer is an older version of Macaulay Culkin from Home. What? So. I've never heard that. You never heard that no. one? It's fun. I definitely recommend looking oh that up God. on Reddit and stuff. It's fun. Where do these things come from? Uh, yes. uh, people with way too much yes. time. Way too <laughs> much time. But yeah, that in combination, I had never seen anything related to Paw Patrol. I, so that was my first That was your first. Foray. Yeah. <laughs> I'm usually, usually when I watch the, the kiddo stuff, I, I tend to get pulled into a Bluey episode or yeah. something Mickey related. So I've seen a little bit of Paw Patrol, but not, not yeah. in a while though. My main issues with it though, hang tight with me a second. I got to look something there with me. Did I lose Sorry, I had, to, oh, okay. I, had to, I had to ask Allie what, what it was because I wasn't going to waste time looking up. But yes, yeah, so my main issue with Paw Patrol, I believe there's a conspiracy in this franchise. Now granted, I have only seen the newest movie. I don't know anything about the TV show. I haven't seen any of the previous content. Okay. But I believe Ryder is very corrupt. He is He's the boy who leads the team yeah. of, the paw, of the pups. Uh-huh. And he directly funds these dogs in their crime-fighting escapades and their society-aiding endeavors. But there's no explanation for where the funds come from for this. <laughs> and I, I, again, I don't want to get too much into it because I don't want to spoil it, but there's a portion of the plot of this particular movie where he excludes one of the dogs for reasons he explains as trying to protect that dog, but then later totally contradicts that choice by making sure everybody gets con- included in the fight against the main conflict. And I had I had grave issue you with had this. this. This completely did this ruin. No, I got I got very heated about it in debate after oh, the okay. fact, and I needed to express a lot of opinions on Ryder in Paw Patrol because this this dude is shady. I don't <laughs> I don't trust him. He's he where did he, where does he get off? No, trust him. Don't trust him as far as you can throw him. And I could throw him pretty far. He's small. <laughs> but yeah, I want to raise that. Anybody who who is remotely a Paw Patrol fan, dig into this dude. Let's let's Reddit this out. Let's find out as much info on this dude as we dig can because in. I don't think he can be trusted. I don't think he can be trusted at all. Continuing into our horror season, Exorcist Believer. Yeah, how was this one? Did you not see it? No. I, heard, I had heard too many negative things and I was like, eh, I'm good. Yeah, let's just say David Gordon Green is doing himself no favor. None, none whatsoever. Yeah, his Halloween trilogy ha- 
has very mixed reviews with the fan base. I know a lot of people bitterly hated the third installment of that trilogy. Was that Halloween? Halloween 2018, Halloween Kills, and Halloween. He directed and co-wrote all three of those. But as soon as they announced that the Exorcist Believer was happening, a lot of people started side-eyeing it and questioning it. All right, if they're going to do this, it really needs to deliver. And I know it fell flat for quite a few people. There was a lot of negative press on it. It tried ambitiously. In my personal opinion, it didn't hit the success that it needed to to justify resurrecting a classic. Well, yeah, and that's what I had heard. But that like, being said, I don't think it was completely as terrible as some people made it yeah. out to be. You gotta ask yourself, too, always when you're, if you're gonna do something, if you're gonna try and bring something back or reboot something, you gotta ask, why are we doing this? A lot of times it's just like, oh, because yes. we think we can make money off of it. Well, it's it's, it's a, too, you watch this day and age, it feels like anything that gets screenlit it has to have a guarantee of serious dollar yeah. signs. And usually that's some form of existence IP, some pre-established name that's you're, you're rebooting it just to get people's interest and knowing that it's going to cut through the noise, which isn't always, if you're going to do that, it, it really needs to deliver to justify or pay some serious reverence to something that ha- that earned its yeah, way on no, its own. I agree. So it's, it's a tricky balance to do that. And you really got to know what you're doing, especially when you touch something as well-known and revered as The Exorcist. No, and it, I mean, it, it's tough to top something as classic as that. Yeah. But if you're going to do it, see, that would be one of those things. I'd be like, no, I don't want to do it. I just, I would rather come up with my own thing. Also compounded with the fact that we lost uh, the great William Friedkin this year. It was, it was tricky for a lot of people who are fans, especially like I said, losing him this year made fans already kind of upset on, on an, on a certain edge. So it needed needed to be good where for, for a lot of people, which brings us up to another one of the top contenders, definitely one of the award contenders for this season. I I would say a lot of people are pushing for this one to succeed in the awards and that's uh, Martin Scorsese's Killers of the Flower Moon. Yeah, this, I haven't seen this one yet either, but the trailer gives you a real good sense of the story. But yeah. I hear it, is it it's a it longer was, yeah, movie, it was, right? It was pretty substantial. It was a long one. I would say very much worth it. I think every Scorsese movie that is long is worth it, but that's one man's opinion. Yeah. I personally really like Gangs of New York. Oh, so do I. That, yeah, one yeah. Is, that one is painfully long for some people. I personally will happily sit there and watch it, but I know a lot of people are not a fan of that <laughs> of the long run time narrative is this one as long or um, just let's about let's double check that to be sure i believe it was on the long side i think it was around three hours i know that there was a oh it's three and a half no! Yeah, tall order. I know that there were some theaters that were doing unsanctioned intermissions. For oh, this, really? Okay. And the studio was not happy about it. I mean, but movies always used to have intermissions back in the day. Yeah, but like they were, they were still like in, they were sanctioned by the studio when that would occur. Yeah, no, no, no. no I agree. I'm you just saying like that's you, you something. Can't, like, honestly, rip the yeah, I would want to bring that. back I think it's in something some that way. should be contendered. Yeah, if, if you have a three and a half hour long movie, I think you should be allowed a pee yeah. break. But yeah, I, I would say creatively, this one was very much up there with movies like Oppenheimer. I know we haven't gotten to it yet, but is it up there? Yeah, Iron Claw Claw? was really good as well. I would say you're looking at Iron Claw, Killers of the Flower. I personally think Blackberry should be in contention. I don't think. But yeah, the the performances all across the board, incredibly solid. I mean, the first time you're seeing Scorsese work with DiCaprio and De Niro in the same space. So that's very interesting. The scenes that they had together are very, very cool. How many films? Yeah, Yeah, he's done a lot. But the story itself, too, the history
history there without getting too into it and spoilery, very interesting stuff. Um, a lot that I personally did not know before, but I've since looked into and researched. It's a fascinating piece of history. That's one area of history that I am ashamed to admit that I, I don't know much. If it's my favorite about. kind of unfolding for that for a narrative too, kind of in the way that Chernobyl does it. It's like it shows it to you and you kind of feel a bit of shame that you didn't know it, but it's like you, you're glad to have been mm. shamed in that way. I, I think that that's a great way to present material like this. But that that's one, I, if you're only going to watch a couple this year, I would put that on that list. Even though I know it is a, long, a bit of a longer runtime, I, I will vouch and say that it is worth it. But if you're watching it from home, take your own intermission then. I mean, why not? Exactly. Do, uh, you got that pause This button. is where I've always said, <laughs> yeah, that's what I've, that's what I've said. <laughs> if I had remotely any money, I would have a theater room. Nothing huge, nothing big. Just modest just, enough to be yeah. comfortable. And projectors now, you can get a decent projector without breaking the bank. Yeah. And then just- I've seen people do some have, stuff. Make it a, make movie nights again, but make it in the sense of like, all right, we're going to cook dinner, sit, get dressed a little bit, and then go into the theater. Give it that old If you had style. a movie theater, if you had your own private theater, would you show a bumper ahead? Mm-hmm. Kind of like how in the 80s, Regal had the the roller coaster across to the 16 I mil. definitely would. It, it, for me, it would be like that, but it would lead into the Nicole Kidman for AMC. It would, okay. I don't, yeah. I don't know what mine would be. I would, I would make, maybe I'd make my own custom yeah. bumper. I don't know. I'd have to think about that, but yeah, I think I would have something. Anything to like enhance that experience, but yeah. So if you do Killers of the Flower Moon, yeah. I would say if you can afford a projector, if you can go out there and get a nice one, throw it up. Do like the old school classic picture show movie night. Watch Get yourself movie. a nice theater room, get in there and just throw up. <laughs> yep, pretty much. And then yeah. take that intermission. Control with the pod button. Pause button is a good thing. Big recommendation on anything Scorsese does, but especially this year, Killers of the Flower Moon. Continuing on with our horror stuff through the horror season, there was a neon has been killing it this year. They've been putting out a lot of great mm-hmm. stuff. They've been kind of giving A24 a run for their gumption. And I caught the trailer for It Lives Inside earlier on this year. And I was like, whoa, this looks crazy. And I made a point to go check that out. It For me, it delivered. I, th- I didn't think it was quite as great as Talk to Me or some of the other things that came out this year. But it still was, I thought, a really, really good. It was a very interesting mythos yeah. story. And it was an Indian culture, lore, creature feature kind of thing ghost story what have you i don't want to say too much because i don't want people to go research it ahead of time but definitely if you're into horror movies this is a great is this one, one of those horror out. movies kind of, where kind of, going in knowing absolutely nothing i think so best. i think it's one of those ones that the less going in okay. the better but i will say if you like ghost stories or creature features it's definitely one that's going to strike your okay. fancy but yeah the, the basic pre- the basic startup for it is that there's a something there is a something i will say trapped in this jar and it escapes to terrorize <laughs> And the backstory and intrigue into that and where it came from and what its motivations are are what make the story so all interesting. Right. So that is what I that is all that I will say on that one. But I will recommend. It's a, it's a good, interesting and another one that used like like Boogeyman, used light, used sound design very much to its benefit. It was very interesting. And with that one, we had a back-to-back interesting ride for horror. The long awaited <laughs> with with the writers and sag strikes holding everything back this year, but this was another one that had trailers going for a very long time and that is Blumhouse's video game adaptation of Thanks Five at Nights at Freddy's. Which I have never played. I played a little bit of it. I will say it was it's one of the better video game adaptations I think I've ever seen. 
I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't know how to take that. Yeah. It's the only other one I would say it was like truly deeply successful at capturing the core story it was going after would be Silent Hill. Of, for all time? For like all time. Oh, wow. Yeah. I think, I think the, the video game adaptation is a very elusive animal. Well, yeah. I mean, I still, I still, this is one of the, this sits apart in a very, as, as bad as it is. I'm like, well, they're definitely getting oh, the yeah. spirit of the game, but the movie's yeah. so so. We've discussed a million times over. It's more often than not, it's just, it's better to let it, in the medium that, that it's that was it's designed, designed for, for yes yeah and i think that there's something unique about games and trying to cross that boundary is just inherently impossible in a lot of ways so i will say this for five nights at freddy's it it did what very few have ever achieved in my book is it a cohesive movie yes it, okay. it stands very much on its own legs too and i think this was a big win for josh hutcherson because i think that this was one of his most successful roles in my opinion all right how many how many thumbs up would you give it? <sighs> you know i don't like to to put a number on things but i i would say a solid four okay. and a half if i were i enjoyed it personally i thought it was great it's it's one of those ones that does have a spoiler ending so i don't want to dive too much into the plot but josh usherson's character is a struggling stay-at-home dad type even though he the young girl he's taking care of is his little sister and the story intrigue goes into hutcherson's past about a traumatic event and he's dabbling in lucid dreaming to retrieve information from a particular event in his hmm. past and it's it's interesting how to watch how, how all that unfolds in this style of Blumhouse coming up with some interesting material I gotta say and I'm always I am it. always thrilled when a smaller studio or even any independent is yeah they're, they're definitely one of the ones driving horror home I mean they were also responsible for Insidious this year as well as Megan a number of other things that came out that I wasn't able to catch but they're they're doing some good good and interesting stuff oh that brings us to did you by chance catch any information on the Marsh King? I did daughter? not. This this one out of all the movies on the list, this one completely. Yeah, it had very me. minimal marketing. I actually didn't know about this one. I was invited along to check this one out, and I'm very glad that I did because it was a popularized book. It apparently did very well, and I had not heard of the book, but a lot of people were flocking to check it out because of the notoriety of the novel. But I didn't know anything about it, starring Ben Mendelsohn and Daisy Ridley, and. Huh. It's one I kind of don't want to say anything about. I didn't know anything going into it, and I had a very, I'll say this, it had an interesting effect on my perspective because a lot of people who saw it read the book and knew where the narrative was going and what they were getting into. I had no preconceived notions, and I thought that that was a very interesting way to dive into this. Well, honestly, that sometimes can be the best way to for anything, yeah. you know. So this one I will actually say very little about. Other than that, I really enjoyed it. And if you're, in, I will give some tones for it. It's, it's very much in a thriller vibe and it is a father-daughter story that will very much shake your perspectives of the thriller in interesting ways. I really enjoyed it except for one aspect. <laughs> I will give it one critique and that was its color grade. Its color grade made me angry. <laughs> but would that affect someone who's No, wouldn't, not okay. at all. But from so, but from somebody who has done that no, work yeah, in that, the past, that I completely it, understand. It annoyed I'm me. saying for a more general audience though, is it is it bad enough to the point where it's... No. Okay. And honestly God, unless you've sat and like done a color time process it, you wouldn't even notice but it did annoy me <laughs> but yeah would recommend march king's daughter if you get a chance check it out i think it's some of ben Mendelssohn's best work in a while and i also think that it's one of daisy ridley's best roles i'd put it up there with the murder on the orient and some of the other i do i do done. like She's the great. title yeah it's very interesting i personally think you would love it i think you should check it out when you get a shot all right but yeah very good bringing it up to priscilla another one uh, had you heard another one i was like the hell is this yeah so this was 
was the latest and greatest from Sofia Coppola. I've been a big fan of her for a while. She's done some interesting work and she obviously has the grand pulpit to stand on. Her dad yeah. started American Zoetrope and is responsible for The Godfather and some of the most legendary stuff. So it's interesting to watch her kind of unfold and take things on. But this, I think, is my personal favorite Sofia Coppola movie. This one? Okay. Yeah. So what it is is that this is kind of a biopic on Priscilla Presley, who was Elvis Presley's uh, wife. Oh, wait. No, I have her. Okay. Yes, yes. I do. Yes. Okay. Yeah. I have heard a little bit about this one. Another bringing in talent from HBO A24 collaboration known as Euphoria. I'm sure a lot of people have heard of that show, but it's the talent involved in that show is being used for a lot of things. That show's currently on a stall because there's a contract that Zendaya can't work on it until she's finished with Dune. Oh. Her time is prioritized to that. So the show is on a like a hard stall right now until she's available to work on it again. And they've already lost a couple of characters who have aged out and have moved on to other things. So it's, a, it's an interesting animal. That, it's already known that there's going to be a time jump for Euphoria when they do eventually return. But that, that is a very interesting show. It's a very dark high school show. But I, I've seen it make its way around in the memes or whatever. Yeah. Whatever it is now. A Euphoria or Priscilla? Euphoria. Yeah, and I think in Priscilla, Jacob Elordi, who is who is the connection to Euphoria, he he's had a very interesting year. He's he's made use of his time off of Euphoria in a couple of cinematic endeavors. And I think he was a very interesting choice for Elvis. And it's weird because they're coming right hot off the heels of the Greats Gatsby director's big biopic on Elvis. So there's there's a lot of pull on that good period old, of history good at this old point. Baz Lerman's. Am I saying that right? Yeah, the no, ba- Baz. The, yeah, no. As far as I've heard it, it's, I don't know, maybe we're insulting him. I'd hope not. Yeah, I, I, I dig Baz Lerman or Baz Lerman, however pronounced. But Jacob Elordi was a very interesting take. It was a, it was a more cynical, more tragic, dark look at the world surrounding Elvis. I don't know what I was expecting going into this, but it was something very different for a biopic. And it was a look at the people who aren't soaking up the limelight in a lot of ways and how it affected them. Yeah. So it was something very different. And I, I did enjoy it. Do you recall the movie The Waitress? Yes, I do. It was very much in that vein for me. I took it a lot lot in that style. And I don't know. There was something about this one that I really did enjoy. That is one. This is kind of off topic, but I, I did see the Lerman's Elvis film. And one thing particularly yeah. about Elvis that one of the things he ate a lot was what's it called like fool's gold or something i think is what it is the type of sandwich it is it's literally like i think it's like it's like italian bread like hollowed out with it's like a peanut butter jelly sandwich and then there's bacon in it yeah i have not heard of this actually i have not seen that adaptation yet oh okay i think at one point he famously when he was doing his his performances in vegas his Mm -hmm. residency i think he famously flew all the way somewhere got and ordered i don't know hundreds of these sandwiches at once it's That's like a PB and J sandwich, but on Italian bread, I think, and then there's bacon in it. I, I think it's called Fool's Gold, but it was it was just interesting since we're on the Elvis topic that I did see yeah. Lerman's take on Elvis, and it does go, it does have that flair to it as his movies do, yeah. but it it certainly I think has that same darker look at it as well, but tries to leave it off in a more uh, upbeat note, no pun yeah. intended. A bit, yeah, bit I, I did enjoy that one. It was a surprising topic. Then the following, I saw. 
the latest installment of The Hunger Games, which was off of a book that goes before the events of Cats Everdeen in the franchise. I think think it was, yeah, it was, I don't know what I expected going into this, but it vastly exceeded my expectations. I I actually got to, I saw it twice in theaters, actually. I got to check it out with Jordan a second time, and I liked it even more the second time I saw it. That's always good. If you can like something the second time. Great performances. I, I was I was surprised at the cast. I uh, I had not known the gentleman who played Coriolanus Snow before, but boy, did he sell the emotions. Making making a previously villainous character likable is a tricky task, yeah. and he he achieved. But yeah, I I would if you're fans of that franchise, I would I would definitely recommend that that movie. If you're if you're not, I would rec- I would recommend checking out the four mo- the four Hunger Games movies before seeing this because it adds an appropriate context to what they were with this. But all the same, it was a great movie great story and beautiful absolutely beautiful to look at I'll have to, it's been rough for me this year in the movies i haven't seen as many yeah. as i would have liked it, it was a it was a hefty year for me there was a lot going on this year i did see to backtrack a little bit yeah i did see no hard no hard feelings since we started recording this because no time has passed no time <laughs> you has were just passed droning on i managed to go one. watch it <laughs> <laughs> you snuck but, out and i didn't um, notice it wasn't bad i enjoyed it i thought jennifer lawrence did a great job there were some things i and i'm not i'm, I'm nitpicking here but i'm also I bring this up as like a teachable writing lesson moment. Yeah. We, we talked that she loses her car. That's like right off the bat mm-hmm. and she needs, she's yeah. an Uber driver. So she's essentially finds these rich parents who want to get their son out of the house and like, Hey, if you can date him, quote unquote, we'll give you date him. Hard. Yeah. We'll give you our was it Buick or something. Yeah, It's not even a great yeah. car. <laughs> like, like, well, we'll give you the car. So there is a moment when she first meets them where she's on her rollerblades and, t- and she walks up the steps in the role yeah <laughs> i found that that sequence pretty great my issue my issue with it is always be careful when you're when you're doing the writing sometimes the comedy can can come out a little forced and that's because yeah. i'm sitting there and i'm thinking unless i missed a part but she, could she not take in other words i'm thinking like why doesn't she just take the rollerblades off and then walk up the steps yeah so maybe i missed something no, that's fair but that's something that i like the movie i feel like it was one of those ones where mm, i think one more pass through in the writing would have cleaned it up a bit more there's some things that always slip through the cracks like that I think on comedies that especially where improv is, is allowed certain things yeah. to play and not, not to say that that was the case but I think comedy can be an interesting animal in that way. things that are unexpected may make their way and uh, also as since we're bringing that one up and jumping back a step that does bring up an interesting point for what I have here in, in a moment the actor who played Gary in that mm-hmm. Eben Moss he's also in the bear and he's pretty darn great oh, I mean we just we want alright we'll save that we'll save that for we'll, we'll save that but just so that just to for a reference point we'll cite that in here in a moment but moving forward we also had this year ridley scott's napoleon Mm -hmm. which was a grand epic interesting tale of a horrible figure (laughs) who you're very much not supposed to like an epic though in every sense i will say ridley scott definitely encompasses that term i think ridley is the most efficient filmmaker working he had a quip at the expense of martin scorsese which take it for what it's worth but i found it interesting that he would have the goal to say that he completed five films in the amount of time it took Scorsese to complete Killers of the Flower Moon. <laughs> and I double checked that and it is true. He did he did do that. <laughs> he completed five? He completed so five movies in that amount wow. of time. Now, granted, Scorsese had a lot of setbacks and it was a big endeavor to complete Killers of the Flower Moon. So, take that 
for whatever it's worth, but it was an interesting comment. Fair, um, fair. But yeah, Napoleon was an interesting one. And originally, with his love affair with Stanley Kubrick, the original concept of a Napoleon Grand Epic was pushed forward in a script written by Stanley Kubrick. And a lot of people would attribute this as an as an adapted script of that. Mm, didn't so movies that. like Barry Lyndon and the Victorian era movies that Kubrick were after were very much leading towards a Napoleon epic. And then they just never got around to it? Is that what we're... He died before he was uh, able to get it. Oh, uh, yeah, that would, that would... That would tend to put a yep. hindrance. I know he fought with the studios quite heavily. A lot, of, a lot of the studios at the time didn't think there would be the interest and intrigue for a Napoleon biopic in that way. It was interesting to see this one come out in some form after Kubrick fought so hard to get mm-hmm. it made and couldn't get it to happen. It was it was interesting to see it, it actually show up in some form. Oh, so. I did not know there was this especially from it. Yeah, yeah especially good. from a director who is, who's had such a love affair with Stanley Kubrick, quite vocally. <laughs> not literally, just <laughs> figured. <laughs> Napoleon, very solid. Beautiful to watch. I would say definitely see it, see it in theaters if you get the opportunity. That brings us on to one of the weirder films of the year in the best possible way, and that would be A24's Dream Scenario. Did you happen to catch this one or anything on the, no, about this one? So this was a Nicolas Cage starred piece that was a man who realizes that people across the globe are suddenly dreaming about him and nothing totally out of the box abnormal just kind of whatever their current dream situation was he happens to walk through slightly acknowledges them but he's just present and it's just kind of quirky and weird in the best ways and makes for some of the most awkward comedic (laughs) succeeding scenes I saw all year I kept saying there there was an old friend of mine from way back when it felt like this movie was co-directed by us with two very different comedic sentiments that we have and I was like damn I wish I had seen this movie with that dude <laughs> oh I like the I like yeah the it's, it's very unique it's one of those ones that is best on the unknowing ride of it so I don't want to give too much away but in terms of the Nicolas Cage ride of this year we got we got some good ones from him this year and I, th- I think this is this is one of the more interesting thought-provoking movies of the year also it, it was a very academia academia based storyline and it was interesting that 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 brings us over to the holdovers did you happen to catch that mm-hmm. one this year <laughs> i i told you i did more that's reading okay. this year yeah that's fair i just don't worry just, just don't worry my time's uh, coming holdovers i think i definitely think you'll like because we've talked before about being fans of john hughes dutch mm-hmm. this is very much in the same vein of that it's stylized like a 70s movie and paul giamatti's character is a professor takes note of a, of a student who has nowhere to go for the holiday very much in the same vein of dutch very funny very interesting movie beautifully stylized i I had a lot of fun with yeah would would recommend checking a long list of great comedies this year which but that brings us to by far the most top movie i saw this year and this is saltburn feels like it was made by a24 but surprisingly enough it was not and another performance by jacob alordi in his off time from Euphoria. And another one that I don't want, I would prefer to say as little about as possible because I think that the ride of it is the most interesting part of it. Saltburn. If you're into very sexually strange, Ooh, go on. Power infused, yes. psychologically bending in the sometimes abusive ways more. kind of storyline, I think you'll be interested nah, in this movie. Nah, not for me. <laughs> if, movie, if movies that really test your morality senses of I can't I can't even really put this one into words. Just it's really up. 
<laughs> and if you're interested in being supremely challenged on multiple levels, psychologically and otherwise, this is one that will definitely throw you for a loop. But it, it was interesting. If if weirdly abusive kind of storylines aren't your bag, I don't recommend it. Yeah, definitely not everybody's cup of tea, but it definitely is a challenging and surprising movie. <laughs> also, I, I mentioned in part one that I got to check out in theaters the Jurassic Park again. I also got to see for the first time in theaters James Cameron's The Abyss for its remaster re-release. Oh, okay. Yes, yes. This was this was only, uh, what, one day, right? Yeah, they only had one showing in Pittsburgh, and I was like, oh, I'm going. And I felt bad because another friend of mine who I know is a super fan of the abyss. He never leaves <laughs> Pittsburgh. He was out in Florida for like the only the only time that this was showing. He's like, damn it, there's nothing there's nothing here. I can't see it. So I, I scooped him up a poster. I felt <laughs> bad. So it was, yeah, it was absolutely it was gorgeous. The remaster is great. I know a lot, a lot of people have issue with Cameron's team who's doing the remasteries. They were there was a big strife for some of the physical collectors that I know <laughs> that were not fans of what they did with Terminator 2. I personally en- enjoyed that remaster. It was done by Adam Green. And I thought that his team did a great job. I mean, he was physically there for all those days of photography. So there is nobody that would know better than him how to recolor and retile that footage. So I leave it to their team. I I personally thought the Abyss looked absolutely gorgeous. Redone, remastered time. They did did all the right things to touch up the effects and everything. Everything just looked as you would remember it, but more crisp and more beautiful. No, that's definitely Uh, one. Yeah, and that's one that I can always remember being on like TV and wanting to watch. It has that it has that good sense of that that right sense of balance between drama, comedy, horror. There's there's a there's a really good tonal balance yeah. in the abyss. It's kinda like if Avatar had a baby with a thing. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. With a, with a bright and hopeful tone to it. <laughs> no, yeah. If you've never seen The Abyss, I would definitely Yeah, and, Ca- and Cameron's team is uh, working their way through his catalog and remastering all his stuff to absolute top notch. So it's cool to see see them pump out. I know they got True Lies coming. There's a big remaster that's been long awaited for Aliens making its way out here soon. So a lot of, a lot of cool stuff coming from their team. Cool to watch it. And like you said, definitely check it out. If you didn't get a chance to catch its very limited re-release in theaters, the physical copy is out coming soon here so definitely scoop nice. it support physical media yeah and then i know i'm gonna ask you this for like every single one of did you happen to catch uh, wonka i have not i was pleasantly yet. surprised with this one I had, I had pretty low expectations for it i did i actually didn't know that it was a musical i, I had some inkling oh from it's the, a musical marketing it is it is a very thickly infused musical with its its tones there's a song pretty much every other scene so song and dance it surprised me. I wasn't the most hot on the idea of Timothy Chalamet being the Wonka mm-hmm. himself, but he did a great job. The, I, I did enjoy his performance. The Wonka. It was great. The Wonka. There there was some rumor or <laughs> some internet buzz about Jeremy Allen White being the one to play Wonka. And I was like, I mean, he looks like Gene Wilder. I thought Chalamet did a great job. I retracted my previous inhibitions about seeing him as Wonka. The delightful tone of the movie, the, the inspiration, the hope that it pushed forward, it was it was a ride I didn't expect, but I was very glad I got oh, good. on. And some of the gags in it are just so funny. Keegan-Michael Key is in it. And the running gag with his character throughout the movie got so many laughs out of it. But yeah, would recommend. Solid solid effort from Warner Brothers on Wonka. Good. And the following week, yeah, I, saw, I caught Iron Claw, which you said you, you've already told me that you hadn't seen this. No, yet. but I know I know the real, the true story behind it of the Von Erich brothers and the wrestling. But yeah. other than, I should say I don't know the story. I just know of the 
them. You know a hell of a lot more than I did. Of what happened and their dad and stuff like that. Only through, because back in the 90s, especially the late 90s, I mean, wrestling was just huge with guys yeah, like it was The Rock, the thing. Undertaker, Stone Cold, Steve Austin. You had, the, you had the Monday Night Wars going on. You had the two big organizations of WCW and WWF battling for the ratings. Yeah. Essentially, it, the closest thing I could put it would be like DC and Marvel, I guess, or I don't know. What's, what, what are two things that are big right now that are or two big social media companies going at it if TikTok and, yeah. and Instagram or something? I don't know. But yeah. So yeah. I, I just heard it through interviews of guys from then who have, who have talked about it and when they would talk about the business. But yeah, in terms of the movie, I no, yeah, I, I think you're going to love it. I, th- I thought initially going into this concept that that was the last I was going to be able to get under the belt for this year in terms of cinematic releases, but I managed to squeak in three more. God damn Right it. before we started part one, I man- I literally was hot off the heels of racing back <laughs> back to the seat to be able to record with you and talk after having seen uh, Boy and the Heron. You and I are both big uh, Miyazaki yes. fans. You you even more so than me, but I, I, I enjoy him and I think me personally, I don't want to spoil, I definitely don't want to spoil it for you or any of those listening for us, but uh, I, I may be so bold as to say it might be my favorite Miyazaki. That, that is, I gotta say, that's, those are some, those are yeah, some words and I, there. Previously, Spirited Away was my favorite. Maybe if I was forced to really debate it, Princess Mononoke. This, this one delivered hard, and especially having slept on it a few days, not to put a time frame on us here, I did really, really, really enjoy it. Alright, I'll have to, that'll, that'll probably be out of all the ones, that'll probably be the one I Yeah, once it's first. out, I, w- I will for sure be picking up a copy. Following that, I managed to squeak two more in in a double feature. Uh, of, this, of this year's many, many interestingly paired double features, I checked out Ferrari and Migration. <laughs> Ferrari was interesting. I, di- I didn't know what to expect from this. It was very much stylized like The Godfather. It was kind of... It- I was left with a lot of questions a few years ago after seeing Ford versus Ferrari because I didn't have a a firm understanding of that history. Mm. So I started diving after seeing that and really enjoying what what was done with that movie. I I dove in and checked out some of the history and there was a lot of interestingly dark mysteriousness surrounding Enzo Ferrari and the history therein. I mean, how the company got started. It's a very interesting point in history. This movie dives headlong into all that and how twisted and messed up his romantic life is. Michael Mann just had to make a movie. I will say that much. I didn't. I, I don't didn't think that it's a this. perfect, perfect movie. Yeah, no, I didn't either until I'd caught the trailer a few weeks back, and I was like, oh. And also another great, great flick from Neon. Neon had had a bunch of really interesting stuff this year so and they got they got even more planned for next year so definitely watch that studio they they got some yeah ferrari was was interesting and adam driver not who you would expect to be great in this role of like an elder car mogul but he threw it forward and I, he, he knows how to to make an interesting character and i, I think that especially the polar opposites of him earlier this year with 65 and a big action role compared to this very character-driven corporate piece almost. I mean, it's, it was interesting to watch him play two, two drastic sides of a coin. Following up from that, the last on the list for us here, at least in terms of cinematic releases, was a Migration from Universal's animation studio. I was very pleasantly surprised with this flick. It was very cute, very, very funny. Well-stacked cast. I didn't even know Danny DeVito was in it, but yeah. Very, very good movie. I would recommend checking out Migration. Left me feeling great, and I can't say that about every movie on this list. So a lot of fun, a lot of 
laughs. Yeah, sometimes enjoyed. you just need a solid yeah. fun. Again, I did not expect uh, a lot of the voices that were stacked on this cast. Another Keegan-Michael Key movie. He was very good in his role. I won't spoil who he plays, but he was great. Just to round it out, I did want to touch on some other categories, though. So there was some great series this year as well. I talked to a couple other people who are rampantly catching up on The Walking Dead for its billion spinoff shows that are on the way. <laughs> so I, I'm, I know of a few Much people. Much like the zombies, it just keeps you coming just can't back. stop it. It just keeps coming. But uh, yeah, I think they have like four spinoff shows currently running. There's one with Negan and Maggie. There's one with Daryl in France. There's one with Rick and Michonne. And there's Fear the Walking Dead. So yeah, they have four spinoff series. <laughs> yeah, That's insane. But yeah, I figured, I figured I'd at least to give them a shot and try them, I was going to catch up and check out what they got going on. So that, yeah, they'll, they're all on their way. There's already, I think there's already a season of Daryl. Yeah, so there's those. The Bear is yeah, my I've heard a, crown I've heard a lot of people year. say this is something good, something Two special. seasons deep. This year's was the second season of this series. Cannot sing this show's praises enough. As soon as I, I didn't even get three minutes into the first episode and I was completely hooked. That's that's that that's some yeah, high praise. Jeremy there. Allen White plays this owner of a restaurant who is desperately trying to spin it off of its downward spiral. And you slowly begin to understand the dynamics of how he acquired it, what the situation is, what his motivations are for wanting to put in the effort and time to do this, as opposed to build something of his own from the ground up. It's it's a very character-driven piece, but also one of the most inspiring <laughs> things I think I've ever seen. One of the most inspiring series that I've ever seen, I will okay. say. Great characters, great, perfectly written episodes, and one of the most finely tuned edits in a TV series I think I've ever seen. Cannot sing that show's praises enough. What's it on? But definitely check it out. It's on Hulu. It's an FX show, but I think it is exclusive to... It's an FX show on, on Hulu. That's the best way to watch it. Yeah, so that... And also on Hulu, continuing its run, have you checked out Only Murders in the Building? I've seen, I've seen a few, yes. I actually yeah. really enjoyed so it. I, I came into that right around the time you and I were coming up with the concept of the study, so it kind of aired its way in through that, and I find the dynamic of Martin Short and yeah. Steve Martin to be eternally entertaining. Yeah, and then you throw Selena Gomez in there. I think that I think that's like a... Yeah, I think that's a great yeah, combination. It just, it, it just works. It's one of those things that's just... It's funny. It's perfect. The chemistry is there between those characters. They know what they're doing. And this previous season, they really stacked that cast high that just came out this year. They And they, they signed, too. There was a lot of talk that they were going to complete the show with this season, but they decided to renew for at least one oh, more okay, season nice. coming coming this next year. So glad to see them keep trucking with it because it is a... I do really love that show. It has it has the, the wit and the charm to keep you coming back. It sits in a category for me similar to Schitt's Creek and some other comedic shows such as that, like Parks and Rec is some of that stuff. So if, if any of that stuff is, is your bag, definitely check out Only Murders. It's a lot of fun. <laughs> check out check out Murders. Um, yeah, check out Murders. Yeah. Some of the other shows, I don't want to really dwell too much, but there's some recommendations I can make. We had previously talked about The Last of Us on HBO. Another one of the, the very interesting video game adaptations, what I loved about the HBO series was that it didn't try to copy the video game and just tell that story it very much tried to present a tangential experience as we yeah. previously described and i think it's just, it succeeded in spades 
that doing so gave you more of what you already know in the best ways, I thought. And Succession concluded this year, which was a very interesting ride. For anybody who hasn't watched that, I encourage checking it out. Yeah, we'd also talked Follow the House of Usher. Yes. That's very interesting. That team has done some pretty great story adaptations. They they also tackled Dr. Sleep a few years mm-hmm. back. Uh, did did what, what nobody thought you could do, and they made a sequel to a Stanley Kubrick film and successfully made a Stephen King adaptation with his seal of approval, which is a hard yeah, thing no, to get. Anytime, anytime Mike Flanagan's attached to something, that crew, I'm Yeah, I'm, they, I'm they do great work, and his his style, it just is a bit tantalizing. He knows how to make make a dazzling. Also, the Showtime's The Curse has been very interesting, another A24 collaboration. They, they tend to work well with other entities. They know how to collaborate and make something unique, and this definitely is something unique. Great performances, especially from Emma Stone. She's fantastic. Would recommend that one also. There's the Apple series, the animated Strange Planet. I'm sure everybody's seen floating around uh, Nathan Pyle's comic series with the aliens. It's always like something with a cat. <laughs> and, like the aliens like holding the cat and he's like, it's vibrating, <laughs> stuff like that. There, It's great to see him like rise to such success. Like it's it's rare for like a panel comic artist to make it to that, that level of stratosphere. So it's cool to watch him just keep riding that wave of success. And then the endless Star Wars and Marvel series coming out this year. A lot of that stuff out there. I was a big fan of Loki, time travel, big yeah. win. Enjoyed that show. It's going to be interesting to see if they continue it. Again, very much impacted by the loss of Jonathan Majors. Yeah, that'll be Marvel. So I guess they can figure a way around it. I mean, but yeah, yeah. I only bring up because he was so centrally infused in that show. So if any show has the the gumption to do it, I mean, like they they have the whole multiverse aspect at their fingertips. They can twist it. Yeah, be interesting to watch that one. And we have Gen V, which was a sideways spin of the boys franchise. Sideways spin. Very much love that. Yeah, it's kind of. It was kind of like a, I don't want to say a spinoff, but it's, it kind of is a spinoff. It's like a teen, it's almost like satirically so, like a teen okay. spinoff. But yeah, like it, it expands the world of, of the boys and that like jock take on superheroes. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I really do love the boys that, and especially Carl Urban's character in that. He's fantastic. But this gives like some more world build, building of that and expanding of that, that whole atmosphere. So that was a cool experiment and see him watching them. But some other things like Silo on, on Apple and a few other things, almost too, there's too many shows to there is to. too like many. It's impossible are, to go, go through a whole year. There is like a I just wanted to touch on a, a few favorites. Stories out there. Yeah. And in terms of games, I really only played one game this year. Still am only playing one game this year, and that's uh, Zelda Tears of the Kingdom. You and I have talked extensively about our obsession <laughs> yeah. with Zelda. There are an impending episodes coming on Zelda at some point. Know that there will be gushing, so I'm going to hold off as long as possible. Tears of the Kingdom is a whole world-building experience to dive into. If you're not already a fan of Zelda. If you're a Miyazaki fan, though, I I, and haven't yet fallen into the world of Nintendo's Zelda, especially the Breath of the Wild and Tears of the Kingdom games. Check them out. I think if you're a Miyazaki fan, you will be enthralled. No, and it's going off of video games. I'll just touch on it real quick because I, I, I do think we'll do an episode on it. The God of War series. Yeah. If you've never oh, yeah. played the, even the originals, but I'm specifically talking about the newer iterations, God of War on PS4, the fourth God of War, and then God of War Ragnarok, uh, which came out a year ago now, but uh, I played it this past year. Yeah. Definitely, once again, pushes the video game medium up to a status of like, how can you not take this as storytelling? It's a different form, yeah. absolutely, but it still it still is. And Christopher Judge had some very, very interesting 
interesting comments recently. Very thought-provoking industry type type what, comments. Do you know what, I, I'm not sure what um, comments you're referring to. I forget specifically God quote for quote. But, but yeah, give me was, the gist. Yeah, basically it was a lot of commentary on like Game of the Year awards and stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think he had mentioned that his speech was longer <laughs> than the the narrative of the winning category or something to that. Oh, okay. Uh, a lot of shot, shots fired type stuff that was like, oh, good you go. Man. And like every time I see Christopher Judge pop up, but even, even back to like when he was in Dark Knight and a few other things, uh, I'm always reminded of him as Teal'c from yeah. Stargate. I was like, this dude's just killing it. I, mean, I he, love him. His voice, his performance as Kratos, his, the voice that he lends to it is uh, honestly one of the best performances I've seen from an actor, I'd say, for, for one of the performances of the decade, definitely up there, yeah. in my opinion. I just love him as a person too, and then watching him embody a character, he, he, he morphs and yeah. transforms. It's fun to watch. Do you want to dive into the book category? I'll do I'll do a couple. I don't want to because we can always do uh, but one I'll I'll say let's see. Let me see here. Yeah dive in because I can trim other things down to fit it. So one of the ones series I read it's been around for a while. I had never gotten a chance to read it but I decided oh, I'll, I'll give it a shot. It's The Name of the Wind. It's a fantasy series um, and I like the concept when we do our world building episode we can get more into that but it, it essentially has a Harry Potter vibe kind of. Yeah. But I really Really like the prose, like how he writes. It's written in a you're you start off it. it <coughs> excuse me. It definitely has that other guy's thing going on where you're actually at the end of the book when you meet him, when you meet the main character, and the world's gone to essentially, and yeah. this chronicler has comes to an inn that Kavoth, quote, quote, or Kavoth, I'm not sure how you say his name. I've heard it pronounced two ways, but he's he's known in this world, and he's come to, this guy, this journalist, has come to write down his story. So he says, alright, I'll tell you my story of who I am and what I did. I'm only going to give you three days. And that's essentially the three books. Okay. So the third book has yet to come out. There's only two books so far, and the first one came out, I think, in 2007. So it's been a while. Yeah. But one of the main things is he is essentially goes to like a magical school and there's all different types of magical disciplines but he's drawn to the one that's called naming magic and it's very mysterious and it's very hard to understand but essentially it's if you know the name of something you have complete and utter control over it. Hence the name of the series Name of the Wind. So if you know the the wind's yeah. name you can call it and have it do whatever you want. But that's that's the setup of it. He goes on into the second book. They're longer books. They're fantasy books. I do enjoy them and I think this is something I almost embrace breaking what I said in the previous episode where you were saying with Avatar how you were like I don't want to judge it until I've seen more and I was like bull I'm judging it now. I'm kind of that way with this because <laughs> yeah. it does meander for me. And it's a it's a novel. It, it can do that. It doesn't have to stay completely on track like a movie does. But uh, yeah, yeah, I'm in that sort of that same state now with this. I'm like, uh, I haven't decided if I fully like it yet or not because I don't know. I'd have to, I have to see the ending. Yeah, it's tricky. Like for stuff that is planned out with extended sequels in that way, you want to, you want to treat it as a full story yeah. on it, a connected form. So it's tough. But yeah, just kind of going on to some other ones I read. I did I did a lot of Michael Crichton this year. I did Timeline, which eh, wasn't too... Timeline's great. I, I like what the concept is going on there with. I liked going back yeah. into the, the Middle Ages. I think that's where it really excelled. There was just that whole issue with like the, the future stuff going on. But anyway, yeah. d- definitely I like Michael Crichton's novels. Some of Michael Crichton's 
lesser known stuff doesn't always fully yeah. hit. But at the very least, you're going to get an intriguing. Yeah. Well, I, I love his writing style. Is my I think one of the main things I like. Yeah, um, I, I I do too. I find him very yes. easy to read, which is why I always yeah. Come back his to him. his novels are very cinematic in the way he yeah. writes, and so I think that's one of the reasons why I'll always pick up his books. But timeline for me was more middle of the pack in terms of a Michael Crichton novel. Yeah, I would say if there's one Michael Crichton novel I would love to see adapted. It's Michael. Yeah, that would be especially a in a in an Ant Man world. <laughs> I, I think it would be. Fun. And, and just to close it out here, I'll just. I mean, I read a bunch of others, but here's one. I'm just going to tell you one that uh, I had never heard of. <coughs> he gonna do one. It's called The Recovery Agent, and it sucked. <laughs> I, <laughs> That's not what I expected. I just, I'm sorry. It, I, maybe it's probably not for me. We're probably going to lose fans here now. You might have to cut this. Cut <laughs> but that, cut that, cut that. I just, I'm, oh, I just could not get into it. Maybe it's maybe it's not written for me. Probably not. It's obviously not written for me. Yeah. But holy hell, this was only like a, put it this way. I once read War and Peace in like three months. Okay. That's not me like trying to brag or toot my horn here or anything, which I I think it's yeah. pretty substantial. It might have been four months, but War and Peace in like four months. I'm like, okay, that's that's that fair. I think that's a good thing. This one took me the entire year to read, and it's only like a 350 page book, double space. Oh, it wow. took me the whole year because it w- this was the one I was reading like in between when I didn't have anything to read. When I was looking for something else to read, this is what like, all right, this will be my. But I just I don't know. I don't know if it was just the story. Well, it was the story, but the way the characters are written, how formulaic it came off, just yeah, it. For me, this this does everything that I was taught or have read not to do when it comes to writing. Now, maybe that's the whole point of yeah. the story. And in that case, I'll tip my hat to the author. I'm like, all right, that you did a good job then from there. I personally hate stuff like that. I hate it when you try to troll the audience yeah. or it's like, no, just just give me a good, give me something good here. It was one of the more painful reading experiences of my life. I did not finish it five times, but then I ended up finishing it because I was like, screw it. I'm going to just finish it. And then when I did, I was like, oh, thank God it's done. <laughs> Yeah. Sometimes you just have to power through and finish it out. Yeah. But just it, for the sake of completing But yeah, the recovery know? agent. It's essentially is like a, she's almost like a Lara Croft-esque vibe going on. She recovers high-level things or artifacts for rich people. Lost. So kind of like a Yeah, lost type. heirlooms. It almost reminded me, you ever seen Romancing the Stone at all? The old, the older 80s movie? Yes. It reminded yeah. me a little bit of that. That's what it reminded me of in terms of what was going on. Or at least that's what it sold me on. And I think that I would have enjoyed that. It's just the way the character characters are so condescending and how she wrote them I just was like I don't know I maybe maybe I just can't get into this but yeah, yeah. I'm basically now just about this book that took me a year to read. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, sometimes something can challenge you in, in an abrasive way like that, and you just you just don't you don't jive with it. And it's it's unfortunate, but you tried but, something. Yeah, no. I think there's. But some I, I would say that. one of my favorite books too of the year. I actually read, went back and read the Iliad. And yeah, that's cool. I, I thoroughly. I've actually never that. read the Iliad. I have read the Odyssey. Yeah, not to, and maybe we could go into more in depth another time. But I having, I will say, yeah. for me, knowing more about the history of a story. And I never used to read like the prefaces or like the, the stuff that like someone puts in the, be- you know, the foreword, the acknowledgements, whatever, before you get to yeah. the actual story. And for this, I actually did read that. And having read that really enhanced then, like I kind of understood. I'm like, oh, OK, this makes it better for me, at least. Like sometimes I want someone to tell me what this scene means and why it's 
lasted and why it's good. And then when I that way, because for me, that sometimes it doesn't it doesn't make it boring. I yeah. think it's almost like how Penn and Teller they always show you sometimes how they do their magic tricks, but it can still be entertaining because it you yeah it, like because part of it with them is the comedy. So it's yeah. like you get you get a double bit of a double yeah you show there. the there's still skill involved. It's 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 like watching someone we've oh here we go I'm coming back to the food analogy someone like baking or cooking like yeah. I'm still gonna enjoy the food if it's good but having yeah. seen you do that letting me look behind the curtain a little bit giving me some knowledge about oh here you go to help you along especially something as old as the Iliad I, I think is just yeah it, it works and it I think it helps so don't be afraid to do yeah. some research beforehand on a story especially something old like that I think it can really boost the enjoyment factor and, and get well, you also into too, it better. I mean you and I have made clear at this point that we we do that quite extensively and I think it's it's a fun way for me I the more I can dive into maybe the history or the the surrounding information mm-hmm. around a topic the more I can dive in like Titanic when Titanic came out I, I became obsessed with learning the history and of the real yeah. event and diving into all that so beyond the story itself you can get obsessed about a topic and really absorb a lot of information and learn that's half the yeah. fun for me so and that too is maybe that makes me maybe that makes me a freak and a weirdo but I do enjoy research <laughs> no and yeah and if even if there is are some if it's a historical movie and there are those inaccuracies for example I know everyone gets on Braveheart a lot for many reasons but one of the big ones is the plane the airplane <laughs> it's not historically accurate or not as historically accurate as it could be and I'm like well that's fair I'm not saying that's not yeah. true but if this is sort of just the the catalyst to getting someone interested in the actual history then hey why not yeah. I'm for it because sometimes reading from a textbook or just someone telling you history can get boring sometimes even though I love history if you're not into it eh, that's why sometimes you got to jazz it up and turn it into a narrative and if that yeah. can at least I'm sure in Napoleon for example I'm sure it's not completely historically accurate oh it's yeah there was a lot of complaints yeah. over it and people saying things weren't accurate and Scott had his, his jazzy repartee mm-hmm. to those so. but if it gets more people interested in learning about the real Napoleon and that his historical era then I think it did its job and if it entertained you yeah I would agree hey. yeah for sure I think that 2023 was a very very meaty and interesting year there was a lot going uh-huh. on a lot that I still have to catch up on some of which include David Fincher's The Killer Wes Anderson's Asteroid City a little Netflix film called Leave the World Behind but I thought for as much effort as the two of us put into absorbing stories this year I thought it was worth taking a look we got a chance to get under our belts there's definitely still more to dig into from this year I will keep releases that I wasn't able to catch up on on my radar but uh, for the for the main focus it's moving on to 2024 and tackling what what releases that this year mm-hmm. has to offer. I think it was a successful story year and I look forward to what's coming next. Ditto. Ditto.